here. As you know, I was gone for the last two weeks, um, traveling overseas on a study trip. I left November 9th um, from the St. Louis airport. I, I flew out uh, up to Newark and then over to Tel Aviv and uh, arrived in Israel. There I am in the Israeli airport. And I, I tell you what, I took more selfies on this trip than I have like my entire life combined. It was, I never felt more my actual age than when I was <laughs> over there taking selfies all the time. It's crazy. But I was in um, Israel for, uh, for a rather whirlwind uh, nine days of travel and study all throughout the country uh, before we flew over to Athens, Greece, and I got to spend four days there visiting sites in the southern part of that country. Um, and on Wednesday morning, the day before Thanksgiving, we uh, flew over to Frankfurt, Germany, and uh, Malia said that I wasn't allowed to break away from the group and stay a few days there and go visit Reformation sites like Wittenberg and Wartburg Castle and Augsburg. And like I had a whole plan, and she's like, no, you're coming home, so... I guess she missed me a little bit, uh, or something, I don't know. <laughs> but I was able to get back on Wednesday uh, evening after the, the time change, and uh, was greeted with something like 36 texts or something that popped up as soon as I reconnected my phone to US cell towers, and I, I think I replied to everybody. So if you sent me a nice message and I haven't replied to you, it's because it didn't come through, okay? <laughs> I had no cell service when I was overseas. Um, US cellular was very ridiculous on how much they wanted to charge me for what they would give me. I went in like, oh, absolutely, we'll give you coverage, no problem. Be $85, and you can have 20 minutes of talk time and 25 text messages. And I'm like, per hour? And they're like, no, for your whole trip. I'm like, no, there's no way. And then the kicker was, well, but we can do that, and um, then it's, it's double that, because we charge you once for Israel and once when you go to Greece. I'm like, no way. <laughs> so um, I just connected to Wi-Fi when I had it, but it was kind of like Wi-Fi in Nelsonville, kind of spotty and unreliable. So um, I was able to keep up with Malia and a few of you. Uh, I tried to text some others of you, and it just said undeliverable. So, you know, uh, if you didn't hear from me, uh, that's because we were busy and the time change, and and unreliable cell service, but uh, I'm very glad to be back, and thank you for all the wonderful uh, birthday texts that I received when I, when I landed. I got to see a lot on this trip, and I'm, I really am very grateful that I was able to go and do that. Thank you to everyone who uh, kind of stepped in and, and made things happen here. I heard good reports of the service. Thank you to Eric for speaking in both services. I told him I'll, I'll get my uh, grading rubrics from my preaching classes out, and I'll go through and critique his messages as I listen to him. He said he didn't want that. I I don't know why, but we uh, had a wonderful time in Israel. Our guide there uh, was a believing Christian uh, man named Alfred, and he and I uh, had, had some great conversations, and he told me as we were talking through our itinerary uh, several times, he said, you guys are covering two regular trips to Israel in this time that you guys have here. You are packing it in. And that was very true. Every day was like a 12, 13-hour day. We were walking 10, 11 miles, and we were, we were moving everywhere we were going. We logged a lot of miles and skipped lunch uh, several days, um, which one of the other guides wasn't a huge fan of. He, he was like, there's a great place to eat. And we're like, yeah, we've got granola bars. Let's go. And, you know, so we, uh, we pushed and crammed stuff in. And then by the time you add in the fact that we went to Greece and did that as well, Really, over the last two weeks in this one trip, I was able to cover about three regular trips worth of uh, sites and places to go and visit. And so uh, it was awesome, and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have gone. Uh, eventually, I'll get caught back up on the sleep and adjusted to the time here. But, you know, our motto in Israel and in Greece was, hey, you can rest in America. And we all really bought into that because we forgot that we were coming back to America like on a holiday <laughs> week, you know, before the big holiday season starts. So, I, you know, anyway, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. 
but as you can tell, we are here not just to talk about Israel. We're here to celebrate the Lord and enter into the Advent season this week. And so I'm excited to do that. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. And this is going to kind of serve as an introduction into this series that we're going to, to have all throughout this coming month leading up to Christmas. The title of the message this morning is Hope for a Chosen People. Hope for a Chosen People. Now, as would seem probably appropriate given where I've been for the last few weeks, I've been thinking a lot about the history of Israel and the history of God's people in general. The biblical story, as you're no doubt familiar, does not start out in the land that we call Israel. If you remember last year, we spent quite a bit of our year in the book of Exodus and and talking about how God's people had spent a long time, 400 years in captivity in Egypt, and then God intervened and led them out of Egypt. And as he was leading them out of Egypt, he was leading them to the promised land, this land that we now call Israel. And the book of Deuteronomy records for us a a bit of a retelling of the events of Exodus. And then this long speech that's given by Moses as he's reminding the people of God of really important things they need to keep in mind and prepare their hearts for and ways they need to live and what they need to do when they finally get to enter into this land that they have been, been brought out of Egypt for and journeyed for all those years toward. So if you're in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, kind of set the context for us, where Moses says, Now, when Yahweh your God brings you into the land that you are entering, to take possession of it and clear away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, they are seven nations more numerous and mighty than you, And when Yahweh your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must, and he continues for for three more verses telling them how seriously they're going to need to take the fight to combat the temptation and the draw of idolatry in this land that they are entering into. Because in this land of Israel, by the time God's people reach it, there's already all these nations established there. Nations that are bigger than them, stronger than them, more powerful than them, with cultures more well-established than God's people. We're going to come back to that, that theme in just a minute, but I, I want us to, to really understand this first. The, the land of Israel, when God's people reached it, was not discovered uninhabited. When they were led there by God, there were already seven nations, this text tells us, firmly established in those lands. Even 400 to 500 years kind of before that, when God promised Abraham that eventually his descendants would would have that land, it was going to be the promised land he would give to them. Even in those days, he mentioned, there were nations already there, peoples already in that land, and they would be conquered by Abraham's descendants as they took over that land. So so I want us to understand this. What we're talking about is a land that's been inhabited for a very, very, very long time. We're talking about nations who, by by the time... God's people, the Israelites, show up there to take the position of land. Those nations have histories longer than you and I have a history in this nation in the United States, right? I mean, not, not just back to like when the nation was founded. Like if you want to just go, let's go all the way back to 1620 and the pilgrims coming over, right? Those nations had histories longer than that. <laughs> so when I got to Israel, one of the things I, I was amazed by was, was just how old and how lived in this land really has been. And we got to go to a lot of places that had archaeological excavations, and we got to see structures that were built before this text was ever spoken the first time. 
Before God's people ever stepped into that land, those people who were already there had built cities, built fortifications, people like the Canaanites. So here's a, a photo of me standing above one of those structures. This was, if you can see this, this kind of wall curved out right there, that, that's a Canaanite defensive structure built hundreds of years before God's people ever entered the land of Israel. And so this place that, that, that we're talking about, this land that God's people are inhabiting here in the book of Deuteronomy, it has a long, long history. And, and this land is incredibly interesting, I think. You know, you might know this already, but it, it really strikes you if you get the chance to go there. The land of Israel is not big at all. <laughs> it's a very tiny piece of real estate there in the Middle East. Modern Israel, it, because of the political situation today, it stretches only about 71 miles wide at the widest point and narrows considerably at some places. And it's 262 miles from the very top to the bottom. So that means it's 8,630 square miles of land, okay? To kind of give you a comparison, the state of Missouri where we live is 241 miles across and 300 miles top to bottom, giving us 69,715 square miles. So you're talking about a land that is the fraction of the size of the state that we live in. Even with all the mountains and the valleys and things like that, apart from traffic, which can be kind of crazy if you've ever been like in another country, you know traffic doesn't they don't flow the same way we flow here, right? So I'm very grateful we had a good bus driver who, I mean, this guy could just, I mean, he could turn on a dime. It was, it was impressive. We'd see a car as we're turning. We're like, no way. He's going to back it up. But nope, he just whoop, right by him and went on. We're like, praise the Lord for this guy. We gave him good tips at the end of it because it was pretty amazing. But even with the, the geography of the land, apart from traffic, today you could, you could drive from the western border to the eastern border of Israel in 90 minutes. It's not big. Now, to go top to bottom, it will take you about nine hours because of the way the mountains work and the valleys and all that stuff. But it's not big. It's just, it's just difficult terrain to, to navigate through. So if you want a kind of a, a visual comparison, if you've ever kind of looked at a map or you've traveled around the U.S., Israel is about the same size in terms of square miles as New Jersey. Okay? That's the kind of size of land that we are talking about. And even under the height of power, and at its biggest when King David and King Solomon had expanded the kingdom, Israel was only three times its current size, which means about, again, half the square mileage of our state in Missouri. It's not a huge place. And yet, what's so amazing to me and struck me so many times as we stood and looked out over this land was that the majority of God's supernatural work took place in this little piece of land. More supernatural events happened in the land of Israel by the hand of God than anywhere else in the whole world. That's incredible to think about. And then we're going to kind of follow that theme a little bit in this series. Today what we're talking about is a little people who are going to go in, this small little nation, who are going to come in to this little land of Israel, and, and they're going to wage war, and they're going to conquer, and they're going to fight these other bigger, more powerful, established nations. And then they establish the kingdom, and they control the land. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look specifically to one little town in this little land. Our series title for the next several weeks is, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And we'll start focusing in on that place next week. But I want us to just think about the land as a whole, even as small as it is a little bit this morning. As God's people are going into that place, they are clearly outnumbered. They are going to face stronger military forces, and there's going to be established cultures they're going to have to work against. And what Moses tells them in this text in Deuteronomy 7 is, look 
to God. Look to Yahweh, for he is the one who will deliver you. He is the one who will give you victory. He is the one who's going to do mighty things. Because you, Israel, are a weak and small people. But God is big and mighty, and he will do incredible things. So, so look there in Deuteronomy 7 at verse 6. I want us to unpack these statements as we set up this series for the Advent season this year. God says, For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And I love verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that Yahweh has set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people. But it is because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That is why Yahweh has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that Yahweh your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, even to a thousand generations. This is an awesome text for us to grasp, and I want us to really consider it today. What God is saying here is making really clear to his people is that they're not the best of the best as they stand outside of this land God has promised to give them. They're not the biggest, they're not the strongest, they're not the smartest, they're not the most put together people. They're not even the most submissive, humble, spiritually sensitive people on earth. In fact, God repeatedly tells these people throughout Exodus and in Deuteronomy and then many other places later in Scripture too. He says, you know what you are? You're actually a stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious people. That's who you are. You're not the best. You're not the most spiritual. You're not the most humble. You are stiff-necked, rebellious and stubborn. In my Bible, I can just look to the, to the right here on the page. Maybe you flip over to chapter 9 and verse 6. You can read God say it to them as it's same speech, same thought, kind of continuing on. It says, Know therefore, Yahweh your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. <laughs> I love that. Why do I like reading that in Scripture? Here's why I like reading that in Scripture. Because that description of who those people were is true of us too. <laughs> We're not the best, not the strongest, not the smartest, despite the rhetoric, despite the propaganda, the lies that we want to, to embrace. You and I are not as great as we pretend and want to believe that we are. Like, let's just, I mean, if we were honest in this room, which is very difficult for some of us to be sometimes, I get that, but this room is filled with broken people who struggle, who mess up, who fall short, who are too weak who are too stupid, who are too uncaring, too lazy. I could go on and on and on with all the things that we are. And it's true of all of us in this room. God doesn't ever look down and go, well, of course I got to bring you into the kingdom, man. You are, you are grade A. You're the best of the best. Like, you are the gem, right? He's looking down and going, you're broken and you're messed up and you fail far more than you get it right. We all fall far, far short of who God has made us to be. Because we're born with a sinful nature and because we all gleefully choose to sin. Like we love it. And so we do it over and over again. And in this text, what I like about this text is that God tells his people, as they're about to step into the land of Israel, about to receive the promise that he has made is, listen, you're going to face people who are stronger and smarter and more established and more powerful. And I know you, I know you're weak and unworthy and undeserving and yet... He doesn't look at them and say, you know what, guys, I, I'm going I'm to change the plan 
it's not going to be you. It's, I'm going to go get the Egyptians. Like, they're, they're pretty powerful. I'm going to give them the land. He looks at these people, small and weak and broken, and says, I have set my love on you, so I will deliver you. I will give you what you could never get on your own. You, little people, are going to be my treasured possession. When we, when we hear a text like that and admit, hey, we're, we're those people, man, it's like we can breathe out in relief, right? It can free us up to be honest about who we are, where we are in our lives. And most crucially, it can turn our hearts to him in awe and worship. At the point I think God wants his people to get both there as he's giving this text in Deuteronomy and, and us today as we're reading it, is to really understand it's never been about how good and amazing and put together or successful or skillful or deserving or worthy you and I are. God doesn't choose anyone because they have earned it in any way. Our hope in life does not depend on our abilities. It all depends upon God. Upon his power, his mercy, his character, his faithfulness, his love. That's why we can have hope. It's grounded in the fact that he is the one, this text tells us, who sets his love upon his people and chooses for himself his people. And that Yahweh, our God, is the one true God, a faithful God who will keep his covenant and steadfast love. Meaning, when you fail, when I fail, when we, we don't live up to the standard, when we are broken, when we are, are messed up again and again and again, he doesn't say, you know what, I've made a mistake, I've changed my mind. He says, no, I have chosen to love you. I'm all in. I am with you to the end. You are mine. I am yours. That's who he is all the way to a thousand generations. He wasn't just making that promise to those people entering into the land that day. He's talking to you and I right here on the other side of the world. That's who he is. This is the relationship we can have with him. That's our hope. That's our hope. So as we prepare to go into the Christmas holiday season here in the U.S., I, I just want us to, to kind of be honest and to recognize again, we've got some real challenges ahead of us in these coming weeks. We have to identify these things and be on guard in our lives. Every year, I feel this more and more deeply. The holiday season in our culture right here, it's good and it's beautiful and it's fun, but it's also very dangerous to our spiritual lives. This whole holiday season, this is one of the things I, I like about the Christmas season, is so much of the traditions and the activities, they're, they're grounded in Christian roots or they have Christian expressions to them. But just because that's true doesn't mean we're on spiritually safe ground in this season. The enemy of our souls is working really, really hard, not just to attack and destroy this, but to twist and distort this season. So that instead of it being something that draws us closer to our God, sees our God more clearly, loves our God more deeply, it becomes something that distracts us and turns our view away from him. If we think about what we identify as our themes throughout the weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas, every year with these candles in front of me, we talk about the same themes over and over again, right? Hope, love, joy, peace. Why do we do that? Why year after year do we incorporate the same themes into our celebrations, to our services at this time of year? Because the church knows, Christians know, that those things are common things every one of us is looking for and longing for. 
And these four things are the things that are being promised to us in various ways throughout the holiday season that the enemy is using to try and distract and draw people away from God towards idolatry. Right? I mean, the Satan, Satan knows that you and I, we, we long for hope. So, so what do you see promised to us in this season? Even from secular sources, it's always promise of something for you to put your hope in, right? Hope in this political leader. Listen to them. They'll, they'll do what you need. Purchase this product. It will radically change and transform your life. It'll make everything better, right? You've had a hard year, but it's all going to be better with this one Christmas gift. Just go buy it, right? Or these people, if you would just spend more time with these people or do these things with these people or go have this experience, there's, put your hope in those things and go find what you're looking for over there, right? The enemy's more than happy for us to put our hope in any of those little things if it means we don't put our hope in God, and all of us, we're, we, we long to experience and to receive love, right? So, so, I mean, let's think about this. Like, you know that Hallmark has released 150 Christmas movies since the year 2000. And this year, they have 40 new ones that they are releasing. Some of you may have already watched some of them because they started in October releasing the new ones. Right? And the theme is the same in every Hallmark movie, right? You're going to find love. <laughs> That's the promise. And Satan's like, great, hey, watch 190 movies and look for love in the ways Hallmark tells you to look for love. Just, just don't experience the love of Christ. He's great with us enjoying the Christmas movies if it keeps us from God. And joy, right? I mean, we, that's, the, that's the bedrock of a holiday season, right? I mean, we want to have everything merry and bright and joyful this time of year. It's the most wonderful time of year, right? We should all be happy and, and rejoice, Right? And in the end, I think we're all looking for peace in our lives, right? I mean, I think that's why Hallmark is, is so successful. They have that one movie idea that they just reshoot and tweak 190 times, apparently. The whole point is that you can find peace. You, you, you're, you're missing something in your life. Something's unsettled. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's your relationship, right? Maybe it's your lack of funds. You're, something's broken. And you know what? You will have peace if you just put on some flannel and go to the small town and, you know, and everything will change. It'll be great. Because we're all looking for this, th these things, this hope, this love, joy, and peace in our lives. And Satan says, hey, I'll give you all those things through the holiday season. Just don't ever look to God for them. What he's putting before us are counterfeits and distractions of these real things. And so as Christians, this is why the church for hundreds and hundreds of years has said, in this season, what we know is people are looking for hope and love and joy and peace. And as the church, as God's people, we know where that's really found. So year after year after year after year after year, we'll say that hope, true, lasting hope is found in Jesus. Peace is found through Jesus. The love you need it only comes through Jesus. And the joy that you long for can only be experienced when you know Jesus. Right? So listen, there's a real deep struggle, challenge ahead of us. Uh, there's going to be a pull towards idolatry in this season. And rather than pretend that it's not there, I think you and I should step into this season aware, eyes open, ready to combat, push past the counterfeits to the real thing. There in Deuteronomy 7, we're told, verse 9, Know therefore, know therefore, that Yahweh your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. 
I think the Christmas season is a powerful opportunity for us to really know this actively and experientially, not just intellectually. Oh, yeah, sure, that's, that's who God is. Bible says it. I believe it. Yep, great. No, but, but to know, like to experience, to know, like I'm certain of it. I have felt it. I've experienced it. I'm living in it. This season gives us an opportunity for that. I think one of the best ways for us to take advantage of this time is to, to use those resources, to engage devotionally every single day leading up to Christmas and putting God first. So all those resources we're recommending on that, on that page there, they're, they're great. You can go out to the resource center here, grab a, grab a page, look at some of those books. Help. There are ways for you to help push through the distractions and put God at the center of this holiday season. And I think there's a great warning for us at the end of chapter 8 here in Deuteronomy. It's in the same speech that Moses is giving. And as you and I, in this blessed culture that we live in, I mean, if you're like my house, you're, you're probably already buying gifts. You're already thinking about spending money. You're, maybe you've already exchanged some gifts. Well, apparently while I was gone, the kids got to open Christmas gifts from my, my aunt, right? So I was like, oh, Christmas has come really early in our, in our household for them. But listen to what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 to 20, as a warning to you and I today in this, in this season that we're entering into. Beware lest in your heart you say, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And listen to this warning. If you forget Yahweh your God, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that Yahweh makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of Yahweh your God. Look, we buy so much this time of year. And this is by far when we all review the budget in my house, we'll see expenses are higher in November and December than any other time of the year. We buy more food, we buy gifts, we give things. I mean, it's wonderful. We love to do that. But there's a real temptation when we go into this time of year to let the focus shift to the things, to the experiences, to the schedules, to the parties, to the things we want to go do, and to miss God in this time. One of the most tragic things that I saw over and over and over again when I was there in Israel and even in Greece is testimony after testimony after testimony that this warning from God is true. There's a price for sin and idolatry, failing to follow, failing to obey the one true God. So many of the pictures that I took and the places I stood in front of, the things I'll, I'll show you eventually, are ruins. There are things that have been built, monuments and, and mighty fortresses and powerful defenses that were built long, long ago and they've been destroyed. And all that's left are ruins. Because it's not just that Israel and Greece have this really long history and things were built a long time ago. It's because the people, when they turned from God and pursued idols and other things, faced the consequences of that and they were destroyed. You know, modern Israel is a pale shadow of what it was. The nation it clearly doesn't even have the size, but it doesn't have the influence and it doesn't have the health, the spiritual life even, that it did back under King David or King Solomon. The reason is because the people did not obey the voice of Yahweh and the nation as it was 
perished as a result. So as people personally today, I want you and I to take these things into heart and learn these lessons are being taught to us through the scriptures. Because you and I, we're unworthy and we're sinful and we're stiff-necked and we're stubborn and we're rebellious just like they are. And I don't want us to lie to ourselves or to those around us and pretend like, no, that's not true. I mean, Israel, they were really messed up. We've got it all together. That's, that's not the reality. We're just like these people were in Deuteronomy, part of this fallen humanity that so desperately needs redemption and salvation from ourselves and our sin. And because we're just like those people in Deuteronomy here, the good news is what God says to them is he's what he's saying to us. Our God, Yahweh, the one true God, sees us, knows us as we really are, that we don't have to put on a front, we don't have to pretend, we don't have to clean ourselves up and reach a certain state. He knows us and how weak we are And he sets his love upon his chosen people and gives them good gifts and blesses them. It's just incredible. You and I can have lasting, true hope. We can find joy. We can have peace. We can experience love from him. Not because of how great we are, but because of how great he is. So as we enter into this season of Advent and we, we're going to celebrate, hey, Jesus is God himself, the son who came to this earth already, born of this lineage of this little people that took possession of this little land and came out of one of the littlest towns, as we'll talk about in the coming weeks. That one did the greatest thing that could ever have been accomplished, the thing we could never do on our own. Jesus lived the perfect life, never sinning, never falling short, never being weak, and yet he died on a cross in Jerusalem as a sacrifice for people like you and I. So that we ourselves today, on the other side of the world, a little people in a little place can be forgiven of all of our sins and given the eternal blessings of God, of life eternal when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone, we have a hope that far surpasses anything else you could ever find in this season. He will save all who come to him and rely on him when we abandon our idols, when we we abandon trying to pursue finding hope and love and joy and peace in something or someone else, and we instead look to him and come to him. He will give us what we need. He will treat us as God's treasured possession. What a title. What a title. So as we conclude, let's just take a few moments to respond to who he is. Some of us in here, some of us in here, what we need to do today is we need to repent of idols that we have loved and have pursued in our lives, things that we haven't ever gotten rid of, have never removed from our lives, never fought against. We're, We're keeping them because we like them. Some of us need to repent of that today. Some of us need to ask God, God, we just we need you to help us in this holiday season. We need you to help us have the will, have the strength, have the awareness to get past the distraction and past the temptations. Because, because maybe you can look back over the last several years and you know, man, my, my experience with the holidays are stressful <laughs> and distracting. And really at some point, I'm just longing for December 26th when I can move on to the next thing. Maybe we need to ask God for help as we go into this holiday season. Some of us just need to get before God today and give him the things that are weighing us down, keeping us from being close to him. Maybe it's sicknesses that we're, we're, we're not trusting him to be our healer in. 
Maybe it's financial stresses that, that we're, we're thinking, I, I've got to figure it out. I've got to earn it. I've got to get it instead of just relying on the one who can provide. Maybe it's, maybe it's some other situation with your job or family or friends that, that you just, you don't know how to solve, but you haven't given it over to God. Maybe today that's what you need to do. And some of us in this room, maybe we need to just start at the base and actually come to God in faith for the first time ever in our lives, really. Maybe some of us have just been playing at Christianity and pretending up to this moment. And this Christmas season is the perfect time to receive the gift of salvation, a life changed. These moments are a great gift and a great opportunity for us. So worship team, if you'll, you'll come. I'll just be honest with you, I love you too much to, to not say it, but it, it grieves my heart tremendously and it grieves God's heart more when we take this time really lightly. The hardness of heart and the power of pride that prevents some of us from engaging, it's really, and really responding to the Lord, it's really a weighty thing. And I've spent two weeks away from you and missing you, thinking about you, praying for you and the services here. And so coming back, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just move past this moment too quickly. We have this opportunity to respond to God Almighty who's inviting you into his presence. So don't, don't turn away from him too quickly. Like, we're going to get to lunch in a few minutes, but you don't need to think about that yet. You don't need to worry about the game at 325. You don't need to think about how, you know, I really want to relax today or maybe I need to get ready for this week. Like Set all that aside for just a few minutes. And let's respond to God Almighty who's inviting you into his presence. He's worthy of our full focus and our response today. Let me pray for us as we enter into this time of response. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of coming together like this. And thank you for these moments. As we have heard who you are from your word, you are the faithful God. You are the covenant keeper. You're the place where we can find hope and love and joy and peace. And so help us now to respond. Help us move beyond the distractions, move beyond the pride, move beyond anything that would keep us from you. And in these moments, help us respond in a way that would be beneficial to our souls, stir our affections, deepen our love and our experience with you. In your name we pray, amen.